Hello, this is Victoria, and for the next hour, I'll be reading from the May 29th issue of the Toronto Star on the Niagara Frontier Radio Reading Service. PGA Tour coming to Toronto June 6th to 11th at North York's Oakdale Golf and Country Club. The PGA Tour is coming to the heart of North York in June and bringing with it two nights of outdoor pop concerts. The venerable RBC Canadian Open, which has been played continuously since 1904, with very few exceptions, such as the pandemic and the two world wars, will be played for the very first time at the Oakdale Golf and Country Club, nestled south of Young and Shepherd. It's also selected as the 2026 host. The four-day tournament runs June 8th through 11th, Thursday through Sunday, with the Pro on hands for practice rounds and Pro-Aim play June 6th and 7th, Tuesday, Wednesday. The concerts, which are included in the day's admissions, are the Friday night, June 9th, with the Black Eyed Peas headlining, and Saturday, and Saturday night, June 10th, with Alanis Morissette headlining. The historic Oakdale course, which opened in 1926, is 27 holes, and the 18 holes the PGA Tour players will play is an amalgam of elements from each of the venue's three nine-hole courses. One of the best players, Rory McIlroy, will attempt to accomplish the feat no other golfer has in the history of Canada's opening championship, and that is to win it in three times in a row. The tournament was also held in Toronto last year at St. George Golf and Country Club. Cocaine Bear, Deep Impact and Flashdance on Disc, a violent comedy horror, <clears throat> a sci-fi thriller, and a romance drama. Cocaine Bear, Universal Pictures Home Entertainment, rated 16-aged Blu-ray plus DVD, two discs. If you like graphic, violent, comedy, or horror movies, you may enjoy Cocaine Bear. The movie is based loosely on true events from 1985 that involved a drug runner, a plane crash, a cocaine, and a black bear who ate some of the cocaine and sadly died. The film looks at what may have happened if the bear didn't die, but instead went on a cocaine-induced rampage that resulted in human carnage in the bear's search for more drugs. The funny, often gory film is directed by Elizabeth Banks and stars Carrie Russell, O'Shea Jackson Jr., Margot Martindale, Jesse Tyler Ferguson, Ray Liotta, and Isaiah Whitlock Jr. The Maximum Rampage Edition, two disc set, has been on movie has has the movie on Blu-ray and DVD along with extras that include an alternate ending, deleted and edited scenes, a gag reel, and more. Deep Impact, Paramount Home Entertainment, rated PG, four clays plus Blu-ray, two discs. The Deep Impact is a good sci-fi action thriller that was originally released in 1998. The film sees the catastrophic possibility of a massive comet colliding with Earth that, if it occurs, could destroy all of humanity. Attempts to destroy the comet rest with the crew of astronauts who travel on the spacecraft Messiah. Their mission involves landing on the surface of the comet and denotating bombs that could have been placed beneath the comet's surface. When the mission fails, another attempt to stop the comet from crashing into the Earth is made, but plans are also made for some humans to survive the impact of the comet. Along with a stencil plot, the movie boasts an impressive cast that includes T. Leone, Robert Duvall, Morgan Freeman, Elijah Wood, Vanessa Redgrave, James Cromwell, Maximilian Schell, Ron Eldred, John Favreau, and Laura Innes. This two-disc set includes the movie 4K Ultra HD with Dolby version and HDR10 and Blu-ray along with special features such as commentary and preparing for the end. Flashdance, Paramount Home Entertainment, rated 14-aged, 4K plus Blu-ray, two-discs. Flashdance is another older movie being released in 4K Ultra HD by Paramount Home Entertainment. First released in 1983, this is the 40th anniversary of the romance drama that sees Alex, Jennifer Beals, work two jobs while dreaming of studying in Pittsburgh Conservatory of Dance.
Also in the movie are Michael Nuri, Lila Scala, and Belinda Bauer. Flashdance won an Academy Award and was nominated for three Oscars. The date was awesome. I, fe- I felt like I finally met my person. Dating Diaries. The daters, Phoebe and Tim. Phoebe says, from 2020 through 2022, I did a lot of self-reflection. I started running and meditating and worked hard on becoming the best version of myself. When I finally felt confident, I decided to put myself out there, Phoebe says. I put a lot of effort into writing my bio for dating apps, choosing recent pics that reflected my newfound confidence and love for myself, and then I she saw Tim's profile. He seemed intelligent, self-confident, charismatic, quirky, fun, and well-traveled. How we met online. Where we went. Everywhere. When we met, Tim was in Buffalo for work, but he lived in Los Angeles. After we'd been messaging for a while, he was back in L.A., Tim said he would come to Toronto to meet me. I was very skeptical about everything. When we started online dating, my distance was set to 10 kilometers. All my doubts seemed to fade. But the more we texted, the more I realized this was something worth pursuing. When we did a video call, all my doubts seemed to fade. Tim's personality really came across loud and clear. Also, no one has ever made much an effort for me, and here was Tim, flying all the way just to meet me. Once this realization hit, I started to get really excited about his visit. Also, he was coming to my hometown, so I had a place to go if things didn't work out. I felt very reassured about that. I was absolutely smitten. I felt like I was with a celebrity. Tim has friends in Toronto and has been here before. There were a few things he wanted to revisit. On our first night, we went to this 360 restaurant. It was a lovely, intimate first date together. We talked about family, relationships, ambitions, food, and travel. We ended the night in a speakeasy in the West End. The West of the weekend involved more food, drinks, sports, and wandering the city. The days flew by. People are drawn to Tim, and he's been able to connect so easily. I felt like I was with a celebrity. He has a great vibe. I found him very attractive. I woke up to a barge of messages. We didn't feel like we needed any time away from each other, and I'm the type of person that values my alone time. We wanted to spend as much time together as we could. My one friend was very concerned about the whole situation. I did have to share my location and text every day at a certain time to check in. I slept in one morning and woke up to a barrage of messages and her planning to come to the hotel to check up on me. She's a great friend. Maybe this is the time for us to live our lives. Tim and I had spent the last day exploring the distillery district. Our conversation over lunch just made me like him more. We talked about his life in LA, his dogs, our upbringings, and totally different backgrounds. Both of us turned 40 this year and felt like we had to put our lives on hold or just make a lot of sacrifices along the way. Maybe this is the time for us to live our lives. We also talked about our future, but didn't make much promises to each other or any plans. I told Tim that he shared many good qualities with my dad, which he appreciated. I dropped him off on the airport. It was only after we came back to our own routines that we decided to give the relationship a go. He came back recently and met my family. We did a few road trips and it felt like a mini moon. We decided to see each other every two months and take it from there. Phoebe rates her date 10 out of 10, a 10. Wish list for the next mayor of Toronto. A mayor is needed who will not squander our money on on politically correct projects, said letter writer. To the editor, ahead of last mayoral election, I submitted my wish list for the next mayor. Wow, I was ever disappointed, and I would like to have this letter reprinted as some of the candidates have already shown they do not understand what is most needed for a once livable city. I am seeking a candidate who will contribute to the economy and coffers of the city, not out of the pockets of themselves or their friends or family. We need someone who has common sense and will not squander our tax dollars on politically correct projects which serve to make feel feel good, but do nothing to improve the lot of who we of who of we who live here. 
Our elected officials are always crying poor mouth when it comes to doing things for the city and when we who live here. Instead, we've been inundated with ever more stop signs and signals, lured to a crawl, speed limits, and bike lanes out the wazoo, which wreak havoc for cars and cause businesses much in lost customers as cyclists are not big-ticket shoppers. It has been suggested insuring and licensing cyclists, especially as many don't obey traffic signs, have caused accidents, and cannot be held accountable. The burden of paying for infrastructure should be shared with all who use the roads, especially given all that has been put into place to accommodate bikers. And let's face it, parking on Danforth and Bloor has always been difficult, but now, like many, don't even bother trying. We were promised to refuse pickup would be privatized, but that never happened. We need a mayor who at least tried to rein in four and his wrecking ball as he smashes through building after building, business after business, wanting taller, wanting taller skyscrapers, destroying wetlands and historic buildings. We need elected officials who will listen to the people and those proposing more bike lanes and clearly out of touch with businesses, drivers of all vehicles, and even the safety of pedestrians. We now see that walk signals light ahead ahead of signals for drivers to proceed, which puts them smack dab in the center of the road just as cars are trying to make their turns. This, of course, is dangerous and means fewer cars can proceed often backing up traffic, and sometimes even getting stuck in the middle of intersections while many might go onto the red. Other day, two buses went through on the solid red light. Luckily, there wasn't an accident. Media is always so vocal about who they want, which gives unfair advantage to those they support, and often gives little to no time to those who aren't in immortal. This is unjust to candidates and voters, and I wish all who were running were treated equally all allowed to campaign, to debate, to advertise. New book, Ultra Processed People, is an eye-opening look at why we eat food that isn't really food. When one of the most basic human impulses, hunger, arise in the 21st century, the question of, what shall I eat? is often answered by scrolling through glowing food delivery apps on our phone or selecting brightly labeled, pre-prepared items at the grocery store. Occasionally, hunger is met by actually assembling raw ingredients into a meal, but more often than not, food has already been processed, seasoned, and pre-prepared for our convenience. Chris Van Tolkien asked another question, what are we eating in a new, unsettling, and deeply important way? In the UK, he tells us, one in five people gets at least 80% of their calories from a category known as ultra-processed food, UPF. In Canada, we share not only a head of state, but diet heavy in UPF. The third question arises, what is it? Tulikin, a practicing infectious disease doctor, compares the world's dominance of UPF to the incidency of some bacteria over others. Dominant microbes are those that outcompete others for nutrients. UPF dominates our food landscape by winning the global race for money. It harnesses factory farming, industrially fractionates whole foods into substances that are modified and reassembled, produces edible products that are low-cost, convenient, very tasty, and have a long shelf life. These are distributed through the global supply chain, outweighing out less processed and less profitable foods from people's diets. As consumers... If we care to evaluate the relative healthiness of things, we tend to do so in a reductionist way, as just as much of dietary science has tried to do so. The idea is that the components in food are what matters. We read labels to identify products containing more substance viewed as laudatory, such as vitamins, and less bad stuffs, such as sugar and fat. Tolkien's critique of UPF turns this mode of evaluation on its head arguing that rather than the reductionist project of isolating the good and bad components of food, we need to shift our focus to the degree of processing, industrial manipulation, and marketing of what we eat. These may be the most powerful determinants of food health impact. Tillican outlines the science that shows that, independent of nutritional content, ultra-processed food strongly increases the risk of heart attacks, strokes, cancer, diabetes, dementia, depression, and death. For many of us, the subject of food is fraught territory, bound up in notions of personal responsibility, body image, health, and often guilt. 
Acknowledging this, Tolkien again wishes to shift our focus from personal choice to a faulty system. The most alarming chapter, which could have been an alternate title for the book, is titled How UPF Hacks Our Brains. Some of the highlights. Since UPF is a soft, calorie-dense, and convenient, we eat more of it than we would of other foods. Having a vault in a competition for market share, UPF mismatches taste signals and nutritional content in ways that drive excessive consumption. The additives in UPF affect our society system directly, and for some people, UPF is addictive, resulting in unavoidable binges. Healthy or unhealthy eating isn't about sugar, exercise, or willpower. Tilikin tells us it's largely about a food system. Tilikin traces personal food journeys, including those of his twin brother and himself. He sketches places such as Eddie Rickson's Oxfordshire Beard Beef Farm, where cows forage widely to achieve a complete diet. A Moana in northern Brazil, a community in which the arrival of Nesto coincided with the arrival of pediatric type 2 diabetes. Ultimately, both the food science and the critique of globalization are essential to understanding his argument that UPF is a damaging, addictive product that exists within the context of a system and is not simply food. The chapter, What Would You Do to Stop Eating UPF, is short, a mere two pages at the end of the book. It is consistent within the overall ethos of the book that the problem of UPF is systematic and that most important solutions must come from governments, scientists, and doctors holding the food industry into account. However, one does not feel that Tillichin is completely resolved on the what-to-do piece. On the other hand, he argues that policymakers, doctors, and scientists need to see themselves as regulators and that the rules of the road have to be set by governments. Yet, surprisingly, he does not think that he needs he does not he doesn't think that the aim of the policy should be for people to eat less UPF, but rather to have a better set of food choices. One presumes that he hosts a rationalist belief that given the right information and choices, people will choose what is good for them. There is still a tension between this and his assessment that UPF is a harmful addictive substance, since liberal democracies do routinely regulate such substances, one that aims for people to consume less of them. The great strength of all subconscious people is to integrate concepts of detailed food science and global marketing force, showing how these affect individual humans. Tolkien weaves these threats together in a way that is evidence-based, compelling, and humane. Ultra-processed people is a tremendously important book that will help readers choose less processed, better food. Vincent Lamb is an author and a physician in Toronto. In his most recent novel, On the Ravine, is published by Kinopith. You're listening to a reading of articles and features from the Toronto Star on the Niagara Frontier Radio Reading Service. Umbrella Sky Project raises sun safety awareness in Toronto. The David Cornfield Melanoma Fund has launched the Umbrella Sky Project, a shade art installation promoting the importance of sun safety. Displayed at Stacked Market in Toronto, the Umbrella Sky Project provides shade for visitors and sun safety information for everyone. Skin cancer is the most commonly diagnosed cancer in Canada. The best way to prevent skin cancer is to protect your skin in the sun. The David Cornfield Melanoma Fund encourages everyone to seek shade, cover up with a hat or long clothing, wear sunglasses, and wear sunscreen. Reduce your time in the sun between 11 a.m. and 3 p.m or wherever the UV index is three or more. We are thrilled to launch the Umbrella Sky Project at Stack Market. This excited installation provides stunning shade and important skin cancer pre- prevention information. We hope the Umbrella Sky Project empowers everyone to protect their skin in the sun, said Danielle Patterson, Executive Director, David Cornfield Melanoma Fund. Man came home in the middle of the night to face suspect trying to rob him at gunpoint in Branford North of Newmarket, police. The Toronto man is facing charges following an attempted armed robbery in Branford and other armed robbery in Toronto, according to South Simone police staff Dave Phillips. On May 4th, at about 3.20 a.m., a man returned to home in Branford and a suspect attempted to rob him at gunpoint, he said. There was a brief struggle between the victim and the suspect on the front lawn before the suspect fled the area, Phillips said. 
The victim received minor injuries and was treated at the scene by paramedics. The Criminal Investigation Bureau launched an investigation that identified a 28-year-old Toronto man in connection with the attempted armed robbery, Phillips said. Investigators also discovered the suspect was wanted in connection with an armed robbery in Toronto in March, he said. Toronto's major crime unit arrested the suspect on May 19th. The search of the suspect's home and car discovered clothing and a replica gun believed to have been used by the accused in the robbery. Min Park has been charged with robbery with a firearm, disguised with intent, imitation with firearm, used while committing offense and possession of a weapon for a dangerous purpose. He was held in custody pending a bail hearing. The investigation is ongoing, Phillips said. Anyone with information is asked to co- contact Deputy Constable Jason Muto at 905-775-3311, extension number 1054, or email jason.muto at Police.ca or Constoppers anonymously at 1-800-222-8477. We have become a team. Toronto Caribbean Carnival producers joined Management Board to help the festival thrive. Mass pans, steel pan, and calypso performers want more government support. Toronto's Caribbean Carnival has gone through some changes in its 56 years, so asking stakeholder groups to join its Management Board may seem like a small thing. It isn't. For years, there's been tension between masquerade bands, steel pan, and calypso performers who perform the festival and the festival management committee, which runs it. Adding stakeholders to FMC as directors earlier this year has taken the tension away. President of the stakeholder group said recently, We have become a team, Terence Wilson, president of Ontario Steel Pan Association, said in an interview. The festival administrators felt like it was important to get stakeholders on the board because their input was invaluable. Jennifer Hurahili, FMC chairperson, said in a statement, They've contributed greatly towards our planning of the carnival this year and the new initiatives that we have. We felt that the carnival would benefit from having them as partners, she wrote. Speaking at the North Scarborough restaurant, other stakeholders and new management structure helps the festival show a united front to governments that haven't given the carnival financial support it deserves. The festival, launching on July 11th and ending with a grand parade August 5th on Lakeshore Boulevard, started as a project for Canada's centennial year, 1967. Last year, it injected $467.6 million into Ontario's economy and there are 1.76 million attendees for the weekend of the parade alone, FMC estimates. It is mind-blowing how much Carnival helps governments, airlines, vendors, restaurants, and hotels which don't produce it, said Louis Saldana, president of Caribbean Arts Canada and the city's most celebrated mass band leader. Mass band like Saldana's takes risks to produce costumes. Rent on his warehouse alone costs him $73,000, and ends up making money for others, he said. Saldana wants Carnival to have permanent home where winning costumes can be displayed, steel bands can practice, and traditions learned in Trinidad and elsewhere can be taught for future generations. We should have gotten that a long time ago. It's good FMC brought stakeholders to the table, where three key organizations can advise them one-on-one, figuring out how to improve the festival for everyone, said Saldana. Henry Gomez founding member in 1992 and now president of the Organization of Calypso Performing Artists, a group representing Calypso and Soka performers, used to think the economics of the festival would speak for themselves with governments. It's simply stating the obvious, Gomez said, adding Carnival has helped put Toronto on the international map. It's exciting and bodes well for the festival. That FMC has made stakeholder directors, he added. It has opened my eyes to things I didn't know before, said Gomez. People are willing to give it a chance. If if FMC succeeds, we all succeed. Wilson, who became the Steel Pan Community Group president in 2018, said it's foremost in needs at home. Right now, it's my house. We don't have a set address. And after summer, most pan bands must pay for storage, he says. Mississauga doctor to MC Pub Couture Diabetes Fashion Show in Toronto. Their life-saving devices, a 
but not always seen, seen as being fashionable. Diabetes Canada is hosting its second annual Pumker 2 fashion show on June 3rd, aiming at spread awareness about living with diabetes by showcasing models wearing their insulin pumps and blood sugar monitoring devices. Unfortunately, there continues to be a stigma around this disease, said Dr. Alice Cheng, the top endocrinologist with Trillium Health Partners in Mississauga. She will be an MC for the show in Toronto, where models will be showcasing a wide variety of fashions and sharing about living with diabetes. Cheng says there remains a stigma around diabetes, rooted in misunderstandings about the disease. There's a hesitation to wear these devices because they don't want people to see, she said. Adding it can be a barrier to patients wearing devices that play a crucial role in managing the disease. It's nobody's fault that someone has diabetes, she said, adding that blaming and shaming is factually incorrect and counterproductive. She said common misconceptions can be rooted in not knowing the difference between type 1 and type 2 diabetes and making assumptions about what someone should or shouldn't be eating. Our words are powerful, and we should be mindful of that, she said. The show will include models from all walks of life, wearing formal attire, casual clothing, beach outfits, and business suits. Diabetes impacts everyone's walk of life, she said. This is not a single group of disease. This is everybody's. Funds raised by the event will send youth to diabetic summer camps, where kids can connect with other children living with the same condition, learning about their disease, and most of all, just be a kid. Warning people. Major recalls at Costco, Longo's, and M&M's food market on certain burgers, chocolate, and salad dressing has inspectors putting shoppers on alert. The CFIA is warning shoppers about a number of recalls hitting stores in Canada. One of the recalls involves Hidden Valley Orange Ranch homestyle dressing sold at Costco with UPC of 0711002104222 and best before a date of March 28, 2024, due to undeclared mustard. The Clorox Company of Canada is warning people with allergies to mustard not to consume the recalled product. We may return the Hidden Valley brand to the original ranch homestyle topping and dressing to a Costco warehouse to obtain a full refund, according to the Costco warning. The CFIA warning tells shoppers not to use, sell, serve, or distribute the affected product. If consumers have further cons- concerns, they can also seek more information via hiddenvalley at consumerreply.com or 1-800-561-5039. Another recall involved certain Salento Organic co- chocolates sold at Longo's. The initial recalled notification was issued March 10th, but has since has been updated to a food recall warning due to additional information. This additional information was identified during the CFIA's food safety activities. The effective products that are being recalled from the marketplace because they may contain milk, which is not declared on the label. Do not consume recalled products to which you are allergic or sensitive, as they may cause a serious or life-threatening situation, CFIA said, adding, do not serve, use, sell, or distribute recalled products, as recalled products should be thrown out or returned to the location where they were purchased. Meanwhile, M&M Food Market is recalling Angus Beef Burgers, 852 gram size, code 210, and UPC 6, 61815-014738 due to an undeclared gluten and wheat. The recalled product has been sold nationally. Lastly, Costco is recalling Costco item 1473917, Kirkland Signature Trill Mix Snack Packs, 28 by 57 grams, and Costco item 1474436, Kirkland Signature Trill Mix, at 1.81 kilograms, Float in Ontario between April 26 and May 5th, due to the possible presence of plastic. There have been no reported incidents related to this project. To this product, Costco said in its warning, if you have any impact lock code, if you have the, any of the impacted lock codes of trail mixes in your possession, do not consume the product. You may return the trail mixes to a Costco warehouse for a full refund. Family dispute in Vaughan results in charges of attempted murder, kidnapping, police.
A family dispute has resulted in kidnapping, a shooting, and an assault, and now an attempted murder charge in Vaughan, according to police. On April 12th, in the lead-up to 1 a.m., York Regional Police were told about a shooting in the area of Islington and Steele Avenues. When officers arrived, they discovered three victims. Two men were suffering from gunshot wounds and another, an assault. Each of them were taken to the hospital and treated for non-life-threatening injuries. The investigation into what led in, into to injuries found a family argument caused four suspects to kidnap a male victim. The fifth suspect attempted to free the victim, which resulted in a shooting. Yumer Aziz, 21, from Toronto, was charged with two counts of attempted murder using a firearm, two counts of discharging a firearm, and other offenses. Yazan Shariki, 19, of London, Mohammed Ali Aluadamani, 23, of Mississauga, Ahmed Amudahami, 20, of Oshawa, and 17-year-old from Toronto have all been charged with kidnapping. Investigators believe this was a targeted incident and there is no threat to public safety. Anyone with information is asked to contact police 1-866-876-5423. That is 1-866-876-5423. Toronto MP Han Dong wants to return to Liberal caucus after he resigned amid foreign interference allegations. The Toronto MP who found himself at the centre of the foreign interference allegations recently deemed false is hoping to rejoin the Liberal caucus after Prime Minister Justin Trudeau said it was his choice whether to return. Don Valley North MP Han Dong told the Toronto Star and text message Wednesday that he was eager to sit under the Liberal banner once again, following a two-month stint as independent MP. Yes, of course I would like to return, Dong wrote. Dong resigned from the Liberal caucus in March after Global News, citing two unnamed national security sources, alleged he advised a senior Chinese diplomat that Beijing should delay the release of detained Canadians, Michael Kovrig and Michael Sapoir. The report suggested Dong made the recommendation because releasing the two men who were jailed in China's following the arrest of Huawei executive Men Wanzhou on a U.S. extradition warrant could benefit the federal conservatives. On Tuesday, Ottawa's independent advisor on foreign meddling and Canadian elections said he had revealed all intelligence related to the matter. David Johnston said he found that while Dong had discussed covering and sap. Sapwar's plight with Chinese government official, the allegation about extending their detention was false. He noted the situation had a very adverse effect on the MP, and that Trudeau and members of his cabinet believe Dong has been badly harmed by the reportings. Trudeau told reporters this Wednesday it was up to Dong, who said he left the Liberal caucus to avoid becoming a distraction to the party to decide whether or not to return. I look forward to conversations with Han about whether or not he wants to come back and whether his fight to clear his name is ongoing and his perspective on this, the Prime Minister said. It's his choice, but I look forward to that conversation. Globe News has also reported that Dong knew about Beijing's elect efforts during the 2019 election to help him secure the Liberal Party's nomination in Don Valley North, another allegation Johnston deemed untrue. Dong said he feels vindicated by Johnston's report. I still feels moving forward with my defamation case in Global News, Chorus Entertainment, Mr. Sam Cooper, and other defendants. A spokesperson for Global News and Chorus Entertainment said the network spent months reviewing dozens of CSIS, Privy Council, and other relevant statements and documents. Global News spoke with highly qualified sources on multiple occasions and made painstaking efforts to verify the information prepared by senior intelligence officials said Rishma Govani. We believe in the integrity of our journalism in the reporting of this series and the critical role it plays in seeking accountability and transparency on issues vital to the public interest. You are listening to a reading of articles and features from the Toronto Star on the Niagara Frontier Radio Reading Service. Toronto advocates, politicians want outdoor hub to be made permanent. 
The city will run an environmental adventure camp this summer at North York's Carmen Stefano Community Center, a venue some say should be a permanent hub for outdoor education due to its proximity to Humber Valley Pond, Humber River, and Humber River Recreational Trail. There is water, there are trees, there are trails, there is grass, there is a building, so you have a wonderful combination, said Alice Castleman, a retired science teacher and president of the Association of Canadian Educational Resources, ACER. It should be rediscovered, if you wish, as a wonderful green oasis for all ages. ACER, founded by Castleman in 1987, provides teachers with outdoor educational resources and works with municipalities, outdoor education centers, and other organizations to get trees in the ground. Castleman said it's more important than ever to get young people outside learning about their environment and their role in maintaining the ecosystem. They need to be outside feeling free and not with a device in their hand unless it's a tool to measure something or is a compass. Castleman said the Carmen Stefano Community Center located 3100 Weston Road near Shepherd Avenue, is a grand site that offers a variety of outdoor activity possibilities and is accessible by public transit. She said the community centre should be a permanent site for outdoor studies, noting the building will provide many opportunities for indoor activities that enhance outdoor activities and vice versa. Castleman said she's so glad the city will run an outdoor education camp at this site this summer, and that should be the beginning. Civity Toronto spokesperson Jessamine Luck said the city used the community centre for summer camps in previous years and will continue to do so. This year, the city has expanded camp offerings at Carmine Stefano Community Centre to include Camp TO Plus, environmental adventure for campers who love to explore and connect with outdoors, Luke said in an email. Activities for the specialty camp will include hiking, archery, outdoor cooking, nature crafts, and nature games, the city said, adding campers will learn how to set up a campsite and how to grow and use herbs, vegetables, and pollinating flowers. Campers will also explore the ecosystem in the Humber River, as well as the Humber Valley Pond located behind Carmen Stefano Community Center. Programming will also include exploring the indigenous history of the area. Ward 3 Toronto Catholic District School Board Trustee Ida Lee Preeti said she's really excited the community centre will be used for the outdoor education camp, which she plans to enroll her three children in. It fosters environmental consciousness and cultivates a lifelong love for nature, she said. Lee Preeti noted that TCDSB buses outside Toronto for outdoor education. Not many people know that we have this site in our backyard, she said. We have to do a better job at disseminating the information for teachers. Lee Preeti said that Carmen Stefano is an older community center and isn't set up as an outdoor education facility. It doesn't have the resources that other outdoor education facility would have. The Toronto District School Board spokesperson, Shari Scortz-Maltz, said the TDSB currently uses nine sites for outdoor education, including five overnight centers located outside Toronto. She said the TDSB is aware of Carmen Stefano, but isn't actively exploring this site for outdoor education, though local schools did do some programming in the green space around the community centre in fall of 2020, when outdoor education sites were closed due to the pandemic. Longtime local resident Edith George, who has been advocating for outdoor education at Carmen Stefano for years, said the community centre is completely underutilized. It's because three tiers of government have never parted to establish this into a dynamic outdoor education center and also recreation staff not coming to the plate promoting this lease facility with its two soccer fields abutting a three and a half acre pond and a tremendous swath of green space that is owned by the TRCA, Toronto and Region Conservation Authority, she said. We have this untapped paradise right here in the city for all of Toronto not just this community. Carmen Stefano Community Centre, a former Catholic school, is owned by the Order of St. Basil, the Great Holding Corporation, and has been leased by the city since 1999. Luxeth Community Centre offers a variety of recreational programs for all ages. Registered and drop-in programs at this location includes arts, after-school care, fitness, and sports. 
The city's lease of the community center expires November 30th, 2024. The city will determine our intention to renew the lease later this year as a part of our 2024 planning, Luck said. The city's Western North York Community Center on nearby Starview Lane is slated to break ground in 2024 with construction of a 77,000 square foot facility lasting until 2027, according to the city. The new community center is intended to replace Carmen Stefano. The Humber River Black Creek County, Anthony Peruza, a current mayoral candidate, said Carmen Stefano, the 49,833-square-foot facility has faced a number of changes to realize its full potential as a thriving community center, including that this is not a purpose-built building for community recreation. Also, I believe the current usage is still impacted by the pandemic, with recreational staffing levels and residents' interest in the center still recovering, he said in an email. Peruza said the city should use community center for other outdoor educational programming. With its proximity to the pond and TRCA-owned green space, this location presents a unique opportunity to engage participants in outdoor learning experiences and connect them with nature. He said, I believe leveraging this site for additional outdoor programming would be highly beneficial. Peel and other Toronto area police agencies to announce details of crackdown on street racing. Several Ontario police agencies are slated to announce details of a campaign to crack down on aggressive driving. Dubbed Project ERACE for Eliminate Racing Activities on Streets Everywhere, investigators will provide details at a Thursday news conference at the Gary W. Morden Centre in Mississauga starting 11 a.m. In attendance will be officials from police jurisdictions across the GTA, including Deputy Chief Mark Andrews of Peel Regional Police, Deputy Chief Joe Moriano of Durham Regional Police, Acting Deputy Chief Wallace Gosin of York Regional Police, and Acting Superintendent Matt Moye of Toronto Police. According to Peel Police, the camp is an awareness and enforcement campaign with the goal of eliminating street racing and other high-risk behaviours. Agencies collaborating with the campaign include Barry Police, Durham Regional Police, Hamilton Regional Police, Hamilton Police, the Ontario Provincial Police, Toronto Police, Waterloo Regional Police, and the Toronto Regional Police and Ministry of Transportation. You are listening to a reading of articles and features from the Toronto Star on the Niagara Frontier Radio Reading Service. Toronto City Councillor Gets Tory Nomination in Provincial By-Election Longtime City Councillor and former school board trustee Gary Crawford will run for the Ontario PC Party when the Scarborough Guidewood By-Election is called. The seat is vacant after Mitzi Hunter, a longtime MPP and former Education Minister, resigned, as required, to run in Toronto's June 26 mayoral election. While a by-election date has not been set, that announcement is expected to happen as early as Wednesday, meaning the vote would be slated for June 22nd, or four days before the mayoral election. Crawford was spotted last week at Queen's Park, meeting with MPPs in caucus. I'm humbled and honoured to be chosen as Ontario's PC candidate for Scarborough Guildwood, Crawford said in a British statement. I am deeply committed to serving the people of this community and be ready to be their voice at the provincial level. Crawford is currently the city councillor for Scarborough Southwest, where he was elected for a fourth term last fall after serving Toronto District School Board trustee for almost two terms. He was chosen to line with former Toronto Mayor Jordan Torrey, serving as his trusted budget chief, and also with Premier Doug Ford and his late brother Rob, where they were on city council. Scarborough Guildwood is riding immediately east of Scarborough Southwest. The Liberals and NDP have not yet named candidates. Beach's East York MP Nate Arscan Smith said last month he was considering it, but since his focus is on winning the provincial Liberal leadership and rebuilding his party. Jason Wagger, Director of Communications for the Ontario NDP Caucus, said there's a lot of interest from folks interested in seeking the nomination in Scarborough Guildwood. The party and writing association do not have a nomination date set yet. 
He noted that the NDP will nominate a candidate in Kitchener Center on June 6th. Current MPP Laura May Lindo announced in January she'd be stepping down in July and last week nominated Melissa Conrad for Canada Carlton. That Ottawa area set was vaccinated by, foreign, by former Minister of Children, Community and Social Services by Mira Lee Furlerton, who has resigned in March for personal reasons. Fort has yet to call that by-election. Seneca NFB expands partnership in film animation. Seneca Polytech and National Film Board of Canada, NF, NFB, are strengthening their existing relationship with the signing of a collaboration agreement to enhance ties between the institution. According to a May 23rd news release, the agreement creates a formal framework, committing to both organizations to ongoing collaboration and engagement. Throughout the pact, Seneca assisted students with opportunities to work on new NFB projects and learn from MFB-sponsored speaker sessions, workshops, and presentations. Seneca will also provide technical and creative consultation services, develop technical prototypes, and test and promote NFB films within its animation programs and spaces. While the agreement itself is new, Seneca points to its long history of successful collaboration on film animation projects with the NFB. Seneca students and graduates have worked with on NFB productions, including 2004's Ryan, winner of the Academy Award for Best Animated Short Films, 2009's The Spine, a Best Animated Short nominee at the Genie Awards, and 2013's Subconscious Password, which won Best Short Film at Annecy International Animated Film Festival. The partnership pairs up with New Seneca Film Institute, which built itself as one of the most comprehensive film training institutions in Canada, with the NFP, which built itself as the most foremost creative centers in the world. As a public producer and distributor of the Canadian content, a talent incubator, and a lever for Canada's creative sector, the NFP produces nearly 100 titles each year. The NFP is eager to connect with a diverse range of storytellers from across the country, and this new partnership, with our long-standing contribution at Seneca, should demonstrate our firm commitment to animation filmmaking in all forms, said Robert McLaughlin, NFB executive producer, animation and interactive studio, in a release. We're excited to work with Seneca to bring the vibrant creativity of young Canadian artists and storytellers to Canadian artists. Four people, residents of Simcoe County, Etibical, and Houghton, charged in human trafficking case involving three Mexican men. Four people are facing human trafficking charges while their alleged victims are now in a place of safety. According to Ontario Provincial Police, the OPP student launched an investigation called Project Fox Foxtrot on February 13th after receiving information of suspected labor trafficking involving individuals from Mexico. Investigators said the victims were recruited online and promised work permits with good-paying jobs in Canada. According to the OPP, the victims were expected to work at recycling facilities in Red Deer, North Bay, and Salt St. Marie, Ontario, and Levis, Quebec. They were well allegedly housed in several short-term rentals across Canada and in Simcoe County basement of one of the accused. Payment for these accommodations were allegedly taken from the victims' wages, which police said was less than had been promised. Three more victims range in age from 27 to 42. Police said they have been provided with services through the OPP, IJFS, a victim specialist, and FCJ Refugee Center. Project Flashstar, which also included the Adishinaabek Police Service, Toronto Police, Peel Regional Police, and Houghton Regional Police resulted in a number of search warrants with Simcoe County and the GTA on March 16th. Four people were arrested and charged. Muruslaw Lachota, 72, Metibical, faces three counts on human trafficking of reaping benefits from trafficking. Simcoe Country's Francisco Elucid Antiono Lavera, 33, faces similar charges, as does Michael Akin. 53 of Helton. Floriberta Sarmiento, 27 of Simcoe County, faces one count of human trafficking and one of benefiting, benefiting from trafficking in persons.
human trafficking remains a largely clandestine and complete crime that easily goes unnoticed. We must come together to educate ourselves, recognize the science, empower survivors, and provide hope to victims to combat this hidden threat. We cannot fight this alone, said OPP Detective Inspector Jordan Witz Whitesell, lead on the joint human trafficking effort. Save the Toronto launches 2023 Summer Recreation Program listings. The City of Toronto Summer Recreation Programs are now available online. Registration for City Summer Recreation Programs opens on, Ju- on Tuesday, June 6th and Wednesday, June 7th for programs that begin on Tuesday, July 4th that run until Friday, September 1st. To learn more about the rec- registration details and find programs and registration information, Residents can visit the city's Summer Recreational Program webpage. Approximately 6,400 registered courses with close to 51,000 spaces will be offered, including arts and craft, fitness and wellness, general interests, sports and swimming. Programs include piano, Caribbean dance, karate, Zumba, and more. Registration for Summer Recreational Program starts at 7 a.m. on the following dates. June 6th, Etobicoke, York, including York South Weston, Toronto, and East York. June 7th, North York and Scarborough. Spaces are still available at select locations for in-person summer camp TO. Visit the City Camp's webpage. The quickest and easiest way to register for recreational programs is online. Registration by phone will also be available at 416-396-7378 from 7 a.m. on the registration dates. For in-person registration res- support, five community center locations will be open on the following dates from 7 a.m. to noon. On June 6, the following locations are open. Driftwood Community Recreation Center, 4401 Jane Street, Masaryk Cowan Community Center, 2220 Cowan Avenue, Wellesley Community Center, 495 Shelbourne Street. June 7th, Centennial Recreational Center, 1967 Ellesmere Road. Dennis R. Timbroke Resource and Community Center, 29 St. Dennis Drive. You've been listening to a reading of articles and features from the May 29th issue of Toronto Star. Your reader has been Victoria. Thank you for listening.